Hello and welcome back to the Board Game Ireland podcast, the first podcast of the space year 2017. We're, we're here now, we're in the future. Maybe. We are in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, hearing that music just now, it, it just brings it all flooding back. I think we've done these before, haven't we, at some some long time ago in the past, some dark time in the past, but something happened, something went wrong, and we sort of fell through a time loop or something, and um, now we've come out the other side. It's, that's my recollection anyway. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm just not very good at hosting podcasts. Uh, oh, that's what it is. Okay, if, yeah. if, if only I was half as good at posting podcasts as I am a, as at hosting Parasites. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes. Parasite Weekly, for, for the listeners, is a great listen. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we we do have quite a lot on this week. Um, so actually, first up, joining us is Dave Rowe, who's sort of a, a longtime gamer. Uh, Hello, <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, so yeah, welcome aboard. So yeah, you've been at it because uh, me and and even uh, yeah, I've probably only really gotten into board gaming in about five years ago was when I first got into it. And you even more. I recently. can I can almost name it. It's almost two years exactly to the day. Whereas you, Dave, have been at it a good deal longer. Yes, well, um, longer than I care to mention. Um, I suppose when I saw your email during the week, I thought perhaps it might be interesting for some of your listeners to hear what it was like perhaps back in the day and how the differences, I suppose, between what board gaming hobby was like, especially in Ireland, maybe 30 years ago, because it's that sort of like length of time for me, and, uh, and what the differences are to then and now and the what is really obvious to me of the recent resurgence over the last five years of board gaming as a hobby and how it's like really transformed from what it used to be. Um, so I brought in a couple of things just to illustrate oh, yeah, to we'll, you guys. We'll accompany um, the podcast with a photograph, actually. We'll have to do that. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, the main thing, I suppose, the difference that I think would you really notice, or I notice now, of course, is the internet wasn't there 30 years ago. And what was particularly prevalent in the hobby at the time would have been fanzines. I brought in some of the older ones that I have from back in the day, there's one here called the Small Furry Creatures Press, which was a UK publication. And uh, the illustration here really is that, you know, back in those days, the the hobby was almost willfully obscure. So who would call their magazine the Small Furry Creatures Press? It gives you no idea of actually what this magazine is about, but it was about this sort of like hobby-type board games, especially German board games at the time. They later changed their name to Games, 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 just to really get it across. <laughs> um, but there was another really popular magazine at the time run by a guy out of the UK called Mike Siggins. And uh, his magazine was called Sumo's Karaoke Weekly. Now, it wasn't weekly, and it wasn't about sumo, and it wasn't about <laughs> karaoke. Um, but again, it was kind of willfully obscure, but it was a fantastic magazine. And it sort of, in those days, replaced the internet, or was the version, because a full three quarters of this quite large publication for the time is readers' letters. Uh, people have wrote in, written in with what they're playing recently, what they think about current games, what's going to be published in the future, that kind of thing. So it really is like the Board Game Geek comment section and, <laughs> and those kind of things uh, made large. And almost no illustrations, of course, because this was all sort of like linotyped out uh, in those days. And But those kind of publications are how people knew what games were coming out and how you could order them because everything was mail order in those days. Why, um, why the willful obscurity? I mean... Was it out of some sense that you needed to hide? I mean, how were board gamers really treated in those days? <laughs> um, well, it's 
Interesting, because because it was sort of so underground, really, or such a, uh, a, a sort of like, a, even it was a small part of a small hobby, because board gaming really would have been viewed on then as being part of a wider wargaming hobby, which was much bigger. When I first arrived in college in 87, wargaming is really what people did. And there was like, you know, I brought along here a game called Dragon Pass, which is like a, an old style hex wargame. And even though it's fantasy and is effectively a board game, it was very much from that world of wargaming. And board gaming, even within that world, was very much kind of like a, a niche that, that people would have been in. And I wouldn't say that the willful obscurity is so much hiding as a belief that this was never going to be. I mean, if, if back in 87, if I'd known then what, what board gaming would have been like in 2017, I, would re I really wouldn't have believed it, actually, um, that it ever would have been as mainstream as it is now. Um, yeah. So I, I suppose what was different was that people just felt themselves, I suppose, to be doing something that never would have been interesting to anybody else. I remember seeing um, E.T. at the beginning where we were playing Dungeons and Dragons. That was like a, a cultural moment, <laughs> I think, for, for sort of gamers at the time, that something like that would have been, you know, you know, in a mainstream movie. And it was very, very unusual. Like in Dublin at that time, there would only have been one shop, which is the Dice Man. Um, off uh, of Grafton Street. Yeah, people remember the Dice Man. They don't actually remember. Oh yeah, that's so, <laughs> that. What was actually advertising was actually a, a board game shop. It was a tiny, tiny little shop off Grafton Street. And around that time, then as well, the uh, the Virgin Mega Store opened, which was a huge shop on Aston Key, run by the Virgin Corporation, and uh, it had a quite a large game section because the people who ran the shops were really interested in games. It yeah. was never really that popular, or it never really sort of justified its space. Uh, but it was sort of like a, a turning point, I think, for... Yeah, because they had like a huge space upstairs in that Virgin Mega Store and they just filled yes. it with unusual things. Like you had your condom shop and then you yes. had your board games. <laughs> uh, and of course, yeah. today it's a super value. Yes, that's it's yes. unfortunate. Yeah, because yeah, it was a nice little shop back in the day. And one thing I heard recently on a YouTube channel, um, uh, they were playing some old game. I think it was a McDonald's officially licensed video game on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it was made by Virgin. Yeah. And the, the, the streamer or whatever was like, oh, I can't believe this game was made by uh, Virgin Airlines because they yeah. had no concept that Virgin was ever exactly. anything else other than an airline. <laughs> Richard, Richard Branson liked games. Yeah. That was that was the thing. He liked the Megastore to have that sort of range of products. And, and, uh, and I got to know some of the people who worked in the shop. In fact, the Irish Games Association was begun actually by people who worked in the Virgin oh, okay. Megastore. Um, Alan Wilson and Tom Roach both worked there in the shop. They were like uh, gamers themselves and they worked in the game section. And they would see people come in who were gamers and buy stuff and they had the idea that they wanted to run a convention that would be independent of the college conventions that ran at the time. They were very much sort of wargaming focused and they wanted to run something that would be sort of countrywide, I suppose, but in Dublin, of course. And um, and they would meet people and sort of say, hey, would you be interested in organizing something? And that's actually how the IGA began. I was one of those guys who they, they, they sort of said, would you be interested in organizing something? And, um, and we created the IGA back then specifically with the purpose of creating a, a, like an independent, non-college, non-sort of commercial mm -hmm. because, you know, Games Workshop ran their own stuff even then as well um, for a convention. And that's where Kilcon 89 came out of. It was that idea of trying to make something a bit wider in the hobby. I think really even in 89, it was possibly about 10 years too early. Um, the first Galecon rap lost a huge amount of money oh. <laughs> for the people who were running it personally. And um, it was really just by the willful sort of <laughs> stubbornness of some of the, the organizers that we thought we'll have to get ourselves out of debt by running a convention again. <laughs> and in, in fact, oddly enough, I'm, after this podcast, I'm going off to meet Noel Mitchell, who is running a games convention this weekend up in the Grand Hotel in Malahide, who was one of the original IGA founders and one oh, okay. of the people who went on to do Galcon 90 and 91 and, and you know, it kept on going 
following year after year. So it'll be 30 years in yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, that's a long one. So back in those days, were there many, I mean, where did you source board games from? Well, actually, so like I say, like Gelcon 89 would have had almost no board games, actually. Um, very, very few people would have been playing board games at conventions in those days. It would have been primarily, let's say, hex war games, role-playing games, obviously, um, and, and things of that ilk, sort of things involving miniatures. But board games were not necessarily, a, like the sort of board games we know today would not have been a major part of that hobby. Where people were finding them from, I suppose, would have been imports from the UK, but almost entirely coming from Germany. And very often in those days, I brought along one of the earliest that I would have had, which is called Six Day Race or Six Tag Renan. Um, and that game never was published with English rules, but yet people, it was quite a popular game in the UK and uh, was like sort of very simple and easy to teach. It's, it's very much like a modern board game. But I brought along the box here just to show you just how obscure looking it is. Mm -hmm. It's like quite a ancient sort of publishing. The quality of the components is very low. Um, so you really had to seek out this kind of thing. And magazines was how you would do that like you just simply would not know where these things were where they would come from and you would be ordering them usually from a german retailer who would be advertising in a uk published magazine okay uh, so they were they were not really trying to attract they're not trying to convert users they were made by and for absolutely and made, made by and for germans i mean at that stage <laughs> we did not imagine that the uk ireland the us would have been a market for them in those days um and it really was sort of like I think people sort of getting tired of these very large games and um, something that was very much war game focused that began to make, especially people in the English speaking world, take on the idea of what had always been there in Germany of these kind of games. And as soon as that sort of wider market was available to them, I brought along sort of like some later games like El Grande, which I think is 95, a little bit later where obviously the production values for El Grande, the first edition were huge. Like there was like, you know, meaty wooden components. Yeah. There's a great big... Um, castle that's sort of like a central feature of the game and the cards are fabulous but El Grande at first wasn't published in English either it was mm -hmm. entirely in German I bought it in German and then painfully wrote out the translation of every single card for that game and that was part of the hobby at the time in those early days of the internet actually the very first things that people would have used it for would have been to source English rules translations mm -hmm. of games there was a place called Ken Tidwell's Game Cabinet which was like a repository where people would have painfully typed out every single uh, translation of, of, of rules but then when Board Game Geek came along, I'm not sure when that was, that was like late 90s, I think, that the BGG first arrived. That became a source where you could now begin to put English translations of games out and uh, and print them off and stick them in your box. And uh, and then, of course, it took off massively from there. But that yes. was actually one of the first, first purposes for it was, yeah. here's yeah. this game, this is what it looks like, and here's now an English version of the, of the rules, or if you need French or any other language beyond German. Okay. They are trying. You can see they have tried with some of the design. I mean, it's a nice use of green and orange there on six tag Renan. I don't yeah. know why they've got the cut off point here. If you're over 88 years of old, eight years of age, you're not allowed to play it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous around 89. Yeah. The idea actually though, though of six, when I first played it, I remember thinking, my God, this game is over in about 30 minutes, which seemed like an astonishing amount of time. And you could kind of go, we could play this again, actually <laughs> twice in the one evening, which was like quite a revelation yeah. at the time. The, the idea that you wouldn't like, just set aside an evening to play something like Britannia or some or a game, a board game like that, that was going to like, take you the whole day um was was quite new and refreshing at the time and of course for us like for the sort of myself and my friends in dublin at the time then we went over to essen because we knew that this thing happened in in germany and um, we'd all heard about it and like magazines like sumo would would, would have, have sort of promoted it and i think we first went to essen in about 92 
maybe 92, 93 that year. And um, it was it really was mind-blowing at the time that there's this vast world of these kind of games is going on where there's very little sort of interaction with sort of war games, that kind of thing, because Germans just don't like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember coming back with, you know, about three bags of games that I'd bought, either secondhand or, or new, new releases at the time. I think that was the first time we were there was the year that... Um, Settlers of Catan had just been published but it hadn't, okay. actually, it hadn't actually won the Spiel of the Year yet that yeah. would have been the following year and um, that made a huge difference as well because as UK speakers or English speakers from the UK and Ireland would have gone over to, to S and they began to bring back these kind of things and then show it to their local game shop and go you really ought to have this kind of stuff and then what made a big difference at them as well was that Isdevium the major games distributor in the UK okay. at the time began to bring those kind of things available and I remember them actually showing me the the, the the sort of like the order sheet that game, that shops would have had that was from his Deviant, which would have covered really just UK and US um, games. Suddenly, it sort of tripled in size the range of games that you could have bought as German publishers began to make English rules and then try to market them in the UK. And that's when these kind of things began to appear and the likes of... Euphrates and Tigris, I remember arriving and selling huge numbers of copies back in those yes. days. That would have been ninety-seven or something like that, I suppose. That that kind of time frame, and um, and suddenly that began to make a big difference. So, this innovation in board gaming in Germany was perhaps a result of the fact that they didn't particularly want to do war games. I. F- I think so, but also I think, you know, if when you go to S and you realise just how family-oriented oh, yes. gaming is as well, like families of, like, say, that sort of sort of two children, 2.5 children, do sit down together and play games. So very much they want to publish games that older and younger people can enjoy yeah. at the same time. That will usually mean a theme that is less controversial and usually less conflict-based. But I think it's actually more the family element of it rather than the trying to get away from conflict that really okay. makes a difference to the designs that they come up with. And this is where we get what what has evolved now into what would be called Euro games. Yes, and I think that that term really comes from from Germany. I mean, when yeah. we say Euro, I always think of German because yeah. there aren't that many. Like in mean, France and and Czechoslovakia and places like that are publishing games now, but not so much then. Like in the late nineties, before two thousand, I think like really Euro games meant German games yeah, to a large like, degree. Like Power Grid, for example, which is a classic kind of German Euro game. There exactly, and uh, and those kind of themes, I think you can still see. But what I suppose more recently then as you move into sort of like the last 10 years or so that style of game begins to take on themes that are more popular in especially the uk and the us you begin to see things like um like we were talking about forbidden stars Mm -hmm. just just before the podcast and uh to me that's a euro game but it's a euro game with a theme that is coming very much from that sort of euro or that american trash kind of world of like you know blowing up planets and 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 evil space demons um but you wouldn't have seen anything like that pre-2000 in 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 essence like it just wasn't there if you're looking at games that would have been you know the renaissance um you know exploring things race games the kind of things were very much things that a family would be happy to sit down and, and and play with um but now i think that that actually has become less. It's actually even more those those sort of like sort of more adult type themes or more I don't know, geeky type themes are, are far more prevalent in these kind of publications. Yeah, put a Cthulhu in it and <laughs> it'll sell. <laughs> yeah, and I think what then if you sort of like look in the last five years, uh, uh, because I I notice it sort of having seen the sort of like this evolution that the the introduction of those kind of games into the mainstream where like you can walk into a, a pub in Dublin now and what seems amazing to me when I go into somewhere like Alfie Burns like your 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 games evening or any of the many others that are going on now is that I can walk in and see 
basically I would have expected say 10 years ago to walk into a place where people were playing board games and I would have known the names of half of those people mm. there I would like the the, yeah. the, the the number of people involved was so small that everybody knew everybody and I walk in I don't know anybody hmm. it's not just that I'm out of touch yeah. it's just that there are far more people prepared to sit down and play games of an evening which seems like and I you know, I talk to the guys in Games World and like you know who's who's selling games and um you know, their, their sales, I suppose they still sort of say it's not high enough that mm-hmm. they, where they'd yeah. like it to be. But the sales are still a world of difference now in the numbers of units that they're shifting than yeah. they would have been even five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think, And I think things like YouTube help with that as well because you have a lot, so many YouTube channels as well where people see people playing these games and it does help to promote a lot. I'm not a big fan of Will Wheaton's thing, uh, but uh, I, I can I can appreciate how much it's done to bring the sort of hobby to a wider audience. So I can give him that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, have you ever seen Inside the Box? That's no. another, that's a US-based sort of like... Uh, it's it's effectively games reviews, yeah. But those guys, you know, turn each game review into a little sort of comedy play about twenty minutes long, like you know, for uh, what's called the, the the zombie game set in winter. Um, oh, dead of winter, dead, dead of winter. Like they do a whole sort of like zombie episode with zombies in it, and they're sort of yes. like playing the game whilst reviewing it, while zombies are attacking them. So it's hilarious, actually. It's fabulously well produced. Yeah. And then you've got stuff like the uh, like those UK guys, the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down yeah, podcast again. They put yeah. a lot of effort into doing those kind of ones. They're almost entertaining in themselves, exactly. never mind being a review of a game. I mean, that's the thing. The biggest one would be Dice Tower, but they, they're not going to convince you into the hobby if you're not already into the hobby. No. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're sort of slightly awkward. And <laughs> yes. I think that was very much Dice Tower. I think, wasn't it? The IT crowd made fun of a board game YouTube channel in an episode, and it was very much Dice <laughs> Tower style. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but you see those sort of Twitch type channels as well, where people are like just playing a role playing game. Yeah, and you're kind of and people are going to watch, sit down and watch that for an hour, which seems amazing. That you know, you look at this and it's got like you know, hundred thousand views, and you think, my God, who is prepared to sit that? And there's hundred thousand people who are prepared to sit down and watch that for. A it's period. still like, chump change compared to the amount of people who will watch uh, a child open a Kinder egg. Yeah, <laughs> those are hundreds of millions yeah. in the views. Yeah. But it's still a, a world away from an a, a oh, yeah. obscure that nobody's heard of it. Like you know, it's it, it's out there in the sort of in the mainstream in a way that like um it has never been before and i think that's actually something like you say five years really that that's in the last five years that that sort of change has happened i don't so i suppose i don't think that the games have changed they have changed since 30 years ago but actually that's sort of like the kind of games that are published now are not massively different to what yeah. was there 10 years ago i think actually what changed is that sort of like a generation grew up and to a certain extent had children of their own who are now teenagers or early 20s and sort of they're now I mean, I, I remember I interviewed somebody for a new job um, a while ago and um, on their, their sort of like bottom part of their CV, they'd written their hobbies and they'd included gaming in there. And I said, so tell me what kind of games. And they went, oh, well, kind of, you know, role-playing games. And I was able to say, well, what role-playing games? <laughs> yes. And they seemed surprised that they're like the, the somebody who was interviewing them was going to be conversant enough with yeah. But it's mm-hmm. not that unusual now. I think, like, sorry, say of the three or four managers in my particular area, in my particular work which is pretty geeky anyway yeah. <laughs> but they're all gamers actually you know and yeah so if you look walk into say one of the software houses or like ebay or somewhere like that in dublin you're probably going to find half the people there are gamers to one degree or other retro video games board games 
you know, Warhammer, whatever it's going to be, but there'll be some element of the hobby will be, you know, in that office to some degree. You're not going to be able to walk into their canteen without seeing some sort of aspect of that kind of gamer culture that, that's sort of seeped into that kind of world, which wouldn't have been the case, you know, even in 2000. It was much more obscure even then. Yeah, well, I don't think it's quite a case of maybe the culture growing. It might be a case of just people realising that games actually are for everyone. You don't have to be part of a subculture to play it. You can, <laughs> everyone could just play. It's an enjoyable thing, so everyone should do it in the same way that everyone watches movies. And so I think it's, it, it, that, I think that helps to make it much, much bigger. And uh, if it's yeah. not this weird little inclusive thing, uh, uh, or <laughs> even referring to a hobby seems a bit silly these days. It's almost like, yeah, it is just yeah, something, it's just something do. you do. Humans have played games since, like, like prehistory, uh, yeah. so that's always been something that's part, a very important part of human society. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's sort of. I think the answer is it, it sort of has become more mainstream because it has become more mainstream. You know, there's a mm. kind of like an accelerating effect where you see it in popular culture, in TV or movies or whatever it's going to be, and therefore people just like you know are now well, of course, naturally, I would sit down in a cafe and play a game. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Whereas, like I say, twenty years ago, people would not have done this. <laughs> well, I think the in- the internet has also had a big impact as the rise of the internet. But- Increasing communication, and particularly the new generation, they grow up with the idea that uh, communication with others is just a thing. It's no longer that you you have to go out and do that. So it becomes just a thing. And board games offer a kind of systematized communication, Um, but it's not online. It's different. So it's actually become the alternative to what you would do naturally. So it's become there's a sort of an interest from that side as well. Yeah, and it is it is something that you know. I think as it would have been previously, I suppose, that people would have met to play a game. And people obviously still do that. But I've I've been like, you know, in situations, you know, over the last while or last few years where somebody would have said, ah, maybe we could, now that we're all here together in this house, whatever, well, let's play a board game. So you wouldn't necessarily have met with that purpose in the first place. But, yeah. you know, we'd, let's let's pull, you know, the resistance off the off the, off the the shelf now yeah. and, and actually have play a game. And then maybe that's not what we're going to do all evening. We might go out later on or, you know, whatever it is. It just becomes one of the other things that you might do during the course of, like, any kind of social interaction. Yeah. And also, yeah, just the rate at which stuff is coming out now. Like, uh, every month there's, like, really interesting new stuff coming out. That, uh, and I think things like, again, the internet and Kickstarter has helped with that as well, where money can be, like, put down before the expensive production <laughs> process where your game may not necessarily sell and you've spent a fortune printing and building all these components for it. So, yeah, you, that gamble element is removed uh, with, with when you bring in Kickstarter. Um, and then you have yeah that, that makes people you have people like trying their hand more more people going okay I want to try designing stuff as well like we've had Robin on before yeah uh, he has those meetups where they can test out the little game testing meetups where people can test out their game mechanics and things like that and yeah yeah some interesting games have come out of that as some of those meetups and that's just getting bigger and bigger and yeah and that'll just mean more and more games and <laughs> it just gets wider and wider exactly. Okay, Dave, thanks Thanks, thanks a lot for thank joining you. us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, I yeah. have to rush off and play some games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> okay, so with our interview segment out of the way, uh, thanks again to Dave for coming out and chatting with us and again if anyone wants to come out and talk about your experiences with board games um, yeah please get in contact and uh, yeah we'll have you on always want new voices and new people and etc on the show yes absolutely Especially. please do come along yeah uh, so yeah now we're just going to talk about some uh, sorry just a sec uh, some games we've uh, been playing recently so I think we've selected a few 
that we've played recently. Um, so, uh, yeah, one big one that one that I talked about a lot because I was looking forward to it quite a bit was Star Trek Ascendancy, which you've played with me now as yeah. well. So I've played it, I think, three times. And I think I'm almost at the point where I know the rules. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, interesting game. Um, a lot of people are, I think, complaining about the amount of sort of downtime in it as well, like which can be a problem with all these sort of 4X type games. Um, well, the, yeah, the basic premise is it's only three player. Uh, each player controls a different sort of faction from the Star Trek universe. So far, there is the Federation, uh, the Romulans and the Klingons with but- expansions for Cardassians, Ferengi and Borg planned. Uh, Ferengi good that's what I was going to ask (laughs) will there be Ferengi yes Uh, which is unusual because yeah like while they were sort of pushed as sort of a big threat in uh, the Next Generation series when it came around to like Deep Space Nine they just made the Ferengi into kind of a joke (laughs) Uh, like I could never understand why like there was because they used to have these big marauder starships you never saw a single marauder in that ship despite the fact that there was like like the leader of the Ferengi Alliance would be constantly like visiting and he'd just have like a small shuttlecraft instead of like a a large ship that would could those ships were capable of going toe to toe with the Enterprise they were the capitalists weren't they yeah yeah space capitalists which and again that slightly went from being evil space capitalists to serving sort of a Jewish allegory which was kind of a bit, uh. a bit weird <laughs> yeah it, it came once once they tried to branch out the culture thing they just went Ooh, <laughs> let's not use our imagination at all <laughs> it's either scottish or jews which will we go <laughs> um so no no it's, yeah it's it's, a, it's kind of a problematic race so hopefully they'll just stick with the way they were depicted in in uh, the next generation which i'd imagine roddenberry's original idea was that they were just uh, yeah they're supposed to be what what sort of humanity could have been if it kept on the road road that we're currently on. Whereas yeah, the idea of Star yeah. Trek is it's this wonderful liberal progressive society where no one has money. It's never quite explained how society works in the, in the next generation. Like our uh, Star Trek. No, apart from the military. Yeah. I mean, basically it's yeah. militarized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all militarized. But yeah, I don't know. So what do you do if you, what do you, I mean, there's replicators to make all the food. Do they have, yeah, universal income? Uh but that, that would require that there's some sort of income related. But then how's it Can't relate? Have income. How's it relate when you go and meet other races like uh, on Deep Space Nine? They're always like gambling at the Dabu tables. Where do they get the money? Do they get a salary? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, And what's the point of it? Yeah, gambling for what? Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah, yeah. When you can yeah, like replicate anything you want. <laughs> um, so, but those weird things aside, um, yeah, I thought it was, it's an interesting enough game. I'd like to try it some more because <laughs> um, there are a lot of little rules to catch in it. Um, one thing I do really like about it is the way the races are different enough and they have different um, sort of merits and demerits that will sort of yes. uh, force you to play like those aliens. Um, so, yeah, the humans, obviously, prime directive means they can't just go around annexing planets and interfering with pre-warp civilizations and things like that uh, whereas like Klingons and Rob- Romulans have no problems doing that Klingons unfortunately it once they attack they can't retreat uh, even if they're losing the battle so basically if you commit and you're starting to lose ships most fleets can go okay I'll pull out and save my ships Klingons can't so even yeah. if they, it means they're just going to lose 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 they just have to keep going at it uh, Romulans have the advantage of like having cloaking devices from the get go um, uh, but they're un- distrustful of like trade negotiations so you don't get the benefit of trade deals straight away so it's kind of a problem there because that's a really good way of bringing in like production income and stuff like that um, Klingons are kind of hobbled with a kind of dual ethical system of either honour or pige 
Oh yes, experience. That's yeah. We should say that we did play another Star Trek game recently, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, the idea is I, I do like the emphasis on exploration as well because the way it works is it's just like little tiles that flip over little circular tiles that flip over different planets, and you roll a dice to see how far that planet away is, and so you make these little warp planes. So you end up with this really interesting sort of board of different planets scattered around the galaxy, and yeah. you're moving your ships around them, and you can go to, to warp or move an impulse speed between systems you're, and you're in turning over encounter cards for each planet you encounter so you reach a planet you turn over it could be like a a, a, a pre-warp civilization it could be a civilization that's advanced enough that has like weapon systems and uh, so you'll need to attack them or you can use your like culture to really impress them like look at us we've got rock and roll music and blue jeans <laughs> uh, uh, you can come and join <laughs> the Romulan Star Um and then yeah also you can have hazards and things like Q could turn up and send your ships across the other side of the galaxy you can run in things like the crystalline entity all the cool stuff from like the next generation and even the original series as well although I haven't seen like like Nazi planet or cowboy planet or gangster planet <laughs> <laughs> but there is like Greek god planet I think we did encounter Apollo at some point yes uh, yeah. and another interesting part of it is that players can both you can determine how the map will be built because you're building the lanes but that also impacts on other people's strategy so as you're building you're actually deciding where you're going to place things and how that might affect yeah. other players yeah you can try and because yeah obviously you don't want to lose your home world so you can make it as difficult as possible for space lanes to like reach your home world because each planet system only can have sustain a certain amount of uh, sort of space lanes and that number is printed on and some of them could be three some of them could be five so if you can start exhausting space lanes very quickly <laughs> around your home system uh you can make it very difficult to sort of you can only be attacked from basically one path or one avenue um so yeah yeah there's a lot of little tactics and mechanics at play in there and then once you do encounter the other players because these all start like i think it's supposed to be what 15 30 inches apart i think or yeah yeah they actually, like you actually measure yeah, it yeah. yeah um so once you encounter the other players you can open up trade deals and uh there's an interesting thing on turn order but that can be an absolute demon um because it can be random or once you meet each other, it can become um, you start bidding. A bidding mechanic comes into bid for turn order. Because yes. going first can means you can put a fleet on someone's home world before they have a chance to even yes. build up and defend. Um, but uh, yeah, it's because of the randomized turn order. It means you could go uh, first one round and then third next round, which means there's like four, four turns in between you getting to go again. Yes, so, and exactly. that could be like that, an hour. That's that's some of the down. <laughs> that's the downtime part. Yeah, so I think there are some. I know there's a lot of rule hacks and things up on Board Game Geek for things like this stuff that players should be able to do simultaneously if it doesn't affect other players, like the production rounds and stuff like that. Just do that, or at least at least just do that before the races meet each other. Like there's yes. no reason why we're not all operating on certain things simultaneously at, at the early points of the game um, but uh, I don't know I find playing it I don't know as the time go by but it can take about five hours to play <laughs> yeah the time will zip yeah. by but it is a lot it's that supposed to be an hour per player but that's you know yeah. it takes a lot longer particularly when you maybe once we get good at it <laughs> um but uh, yeah, no, no, interesting. I do like the team of it. It's really, it does fit the team really well. Um, Star Trek, you do feel like, and building the fleets and also, there's a really nice mechanic with the fleets as well. You can have like three fleets 
and basically you take because you have like dozens of like small ships and then you can take those ships and you put them on a card and the card has like little spaces for them and then there's like a large ship that represents all those ships that yes. are off to one side of this card and you can have like there's two sides of the card one side has a huge amount of spaces on it but then the other side has less spaces on it but also gives the, the fleet a special ability. So it might be a fleet that's geared towards um, science exploration or mining uh, and things like that, or one for that's slightly better at combat. Uh, but or you can forgo all of that and just have like sheer numbers. And again, that's an advantage the Klingons have. Like I think they have fleets much bigger than anyone else. Yes. Um. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'm really looking forward to the expansions as well. I'll, uh, again, they're a little. I mean, the the expansions are supposed to be already out now. Like, actually, when buying the boxes is now available, Cardassian and Ferengi, but no. And uh, the Borg? That's actually in the thing. Borg is only recently announced. The Borg sounds interesting because the way that will work is there will be, uh, yeah, the Borg will be sort of an NPC uh, race. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be out there as a threat to, to everyone. And if they destroy any one of the players' uh, races, that player then controls the Borg. <laughs> but they become exceptionally powerful so at that point the game just becomes uh, er- everyone against the Borg and it's so everyone's going to either win or lose and the Borg are either going to win or lose so it's no longer becomes about like uh, supremacy amongst the players so the players are against the Borg player 100% because uh, the Borg are just that powerful when, once they've assimilated a race um, so yeah that sounds really interesting but yeah it's a little up in the air like uh, if you go to the board game geek forums it's all like where where is the expansion where's the expansion but the game itself was delayed like significantly like I think it was supposed to be out around this time last year and okay. I think it was like six months late um, so if it goes by that we could still be looking towards end of summer before any expansions turn up Great. Uh, so yeah that's Star Trek SNZ I'd recommend it I think it's good it's definitely if you're into Star Trek and that universe and everything it's very very cool um, one thing I've never played um, it's made me want to play Star Trek Captains which is supposed to be really really good and I, must I don't know it. it's quite I think it's quite expensive that, and the expansions are like quite expensive because again you're buying a new race with like really cool ships and stuff yes. for each one but like they even have like Dominion and things like that but uh, yeah that's one I really really want to play at some point I don't know if it's still in print or not but I think yeah you're probably looking at about 100 quid on Amazon or something so I must <laughs> check see if I can get a copy of that at some point so it's definitely on my list uh, as of other Star Trek games <laughs> um, <laughs> okay yeah, uh, do you want to talk about... Yeah, New York Pizza is another one you've got recently. Yes, Pizza. So I saw this game in uh, Gamers World um, a couple of weeks ago and I purely bought it there and then because of the box because yeah. it looks... And were you hungry at the time? <laughs> <laughs> Never board game shop while hungry, you'll just buy food team food. I am, I am, I am always hungry, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I, I mean, I if I'd just eaten a pizza, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> so um, the box looks just like a pizza box and well that's sort of par for the course there are other pizza based games and they all make the box they have the right idea oh let's make the box look like a pizza not box. for me <laughs> i was a total innocent in this pizza box the first time world. you got suckered by it, yeah. it i just walked in saw it and said i'm having that i don't know anything about it i don't know how it works but it, um it's it looks like a pizza so i'm gonna have it so i bought it and took it home and i was very pleased when i opened the box it opens like a pizza box and I saw, um, first thing I saw was a pizza menu, which I thought, oh, that's great. They've included a menu. But that actually turned out to be to be the rules of the game. Okay, it didn't form. actually turn out to just be a pizza. No, That no. someone had left lying on a shelf in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, and but the pieces are all, um, almost entirely, uh, pizza slices. Yeah. And they look 
uh, very appetizing. One of my ambitions for this game, which I have since achieved, was to play it while eating pizza. Yes, I was there for that. Yes, and that that enhanced it a lot. Um, so there's a whole bunch of tiles that are all different kinds of pizza. Now they all have different bits of pepperoni on them, and they have some some of them have anchovies. Pepperoni is generally good. Pepperoni will give you points. Anchovies in general are bad. Anchovies will lose you points. As as it should be. Exactly. No, I have no problem. I don't know. There's probably, just... there's probably there's someone. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure someone's released like a hack or something that like replaces the anchovies with pineapple. Because <laughs> apparently that's the big meme on the internet right now. Is people suddenly think oh, pineapple's a bad thing to have on pizza? This is silly. It's like, <laughs> where do you stand on that? Pineapple's okay on pizza. Yeah. It's only that um, it tends to explode in your mouth like a kind of molten ball <laughs> of juice, <laughs> which is a bit of a problem. But other than that, I have no problem with it at all. I'd be happy with any kind of okay. fruit, fruit so that's, based that's, pizza. It's official. The Board Games Iron podcast, our official stance on pineapple pizza is it's okay if you like it. So you can go ahead and eat it without guilt. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're telling you all now, here and now. <coughs> I, I give pineapple and pizza a 7 out of 10. I'd give it, I would give it more if it wasn't for the possibilities with other fruits, such mm-hmm. as cherries, strawberries, or raspberries. Those would be... Tomatoes. Your, uh, that's, a bit too, that's a bit too out there for me. Tomatoes <laughs> on pizza. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that. But... Cherries on pizza, definitely. Um, marshmallow and chocolate pizza, something like that. That's mm-hmm. right up my street. Yeah. Um, this pizza game is actually a remake of an old game, and it used to be cakes. Oh, okay. Uh, it used to be cake slices, but they changed it to pizza. Um, and what the way it works is basically it's very simple kind of rules. Um, each there's a each all the pizza pieces are divided up into stacks of eleven, which will then when they're um, put placed out on the table will form a perfect circular pizza each player for each player in turn um becomes the person who forms that pizza they take a stack at random and they put down each piece one by one until the entire circle is formed and what you have then is a pizza of random different slices some with um different flavors with chicken pepperoni anchovy whatever um in the simple the simplest form what you do then is as that player you divide that pizza up for other players to pick they pick each bit that you've divided all the slices in that bit your divisions will go to that player you have to make as many divisions as there are players and if you're the one dividing you get to choose last that's the basic game mechanic so when you divide you're trying to get everyone you're trying to get the pit the least worst bit mm-hmm. then then that goes around you become the second person to choose third fourth um and literally each piece will be depending on where you are in the game each slice will be worth something different to you you can either just eat it immediately which means you flip it over and you get points for the pepperoni on there or you 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 start building your own pizza with these pieces the pieces are depending on what type there are and the number of those pieces so maybe if you have like for example pineapple a pineapple slice will be worth uh will be caught will be worth say two points and the one the player at the end with the most pineapples um gets those points and that's basically it there are some um as with many of these games there's a few extra cards that you flip over each round and they change a rule one of yeah. them is um you like anchovies so suddenly anchovies become worth something and um, those cards go out with the pizza on one of the divided slices and a player can grab that card and use it for that round or or subsequent rounds um and that's really it. Um, yeah. It's one of those games with quite a simple algorithm, but on top of that, 
there's a lot of interaction and it's quite social as well because players are all watching what each other's doing. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing is yeah, really watching what other players are going for and that's and that becomes really important when you're it's your turn to like divide up the slices and try yes. and think, oh, what's going to benefit this person and someone might have the power to like go first and so you know they're going to go first so yes. you want to make sure give make make them give them two impossible choices like give them like a Sophie's <laughs> choice of pizza exactly. it's like oh which which slice do I go with yeah and it's always almost impossible to have the ideal division the mm. one that causes the most pain to yeah. the other players and the most benefit to yourself it's very hard to do and then the, the other delight is when someone somehow forgets or doesn't notice the actual strategy you're playing and they will divide the pizza up and suddenly you find yourself with the best slice and nobody's actually noticed that um so and it's a it's one of these quick games it's um highly repeatable um you know it's one you'll want to play again and again so um yeah overall i'm very glad i bought it i my my pizza based instincts completely irrational and ultimately entirely food based were absolutely spot on as mm-hmm. usual so yes yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the best pizza-based game I've played. <laughs> uh, yeah, another one I think we that we both got, and it was one I've been waiting for for a very long time as well, is uh, the the Bloodborne sort of game um, based on the uh, the uh, excellent uh, PlayStation Four <laughs> video game, which I, I think is the best games on the PlayStation Four. <laughs> if you have a PlayStation Four and don't have Bloodborne, you're you're doing something very very wrong. Uh, this is uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a game by From Software, the video game, uh, who make uh, Dark Souls most famously is what they're famous for. Uh, also famous for a game called Metal Wolf Chaos, uh, which tends to be overlooked a bit, hmm. uh, which was on the original Xbox. And uh, you're the president of America and you get overthrown from the by the vice president. And to sort things out, you get into a gigantic robot and go, go to war against <laughs> the america uh it's a pretty amazing game and it's called metal wolf chaos if only things were that simple in real life huh uh yeah so uh yeah yeah but that's just that's an early from software now they're known for dark souls (laughs) (laughs) um uh so yeah but the 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 adaptation of the bloodborne game is by eric m lang who's quite famous for things like blood rage the XCOM game yep uh things like that so yes yeah he's quite a um um a well-known board game designer so yeah the fact that it's bloodborne and the well-known designer who does good work uh definitely had me on board for this and it is it's it's a great little game it's a really nice mechanic yeah sort of push your look mechanics in it um don't know how well it fits with the teaming but it, it's it's yeah, no, it's i know it feels a good deal enough like bloodborne like because it has like some of the a selection of different bosses from it i would have liked to see more variety in the weapons because that's one thing that's interesting in the game is just the sheer variety of weapons so i'd love yeah. to see maybe an old hunters expansion or something with uh, stuff like that because that was the expansion for uh, Bloodborne uh, which added a, a whole <laughs> bunch of extra weapons and bosses and stuff um, so it would be nice to do things like that uh, to explain the mechanics it's really it's not simulating the game itself it's simulating like a, an unusual part of the game called the Chalice Dungeons which are like these randomly generated dungeons where you fight monsters and bosses from the main game uh, but in these like small little chambers and things like that so it's cooperative to a degree, but you also want to win. Uh, yeah. So everyone's attacking the same monster at the same time. and But only the people who deal damage to it and survive um, are going to get the points. And it's yes. all about knowing when to bank those points. Because if you die uh, without banking them, you lose them. Yes. Um, so banking them requires you going back to a Hunter's Dream, which is a card you can play to like travel back. And you can bank your souls there and then you can purchase a different weapons. 
um you can only have a hand of like seven cards so you really have to work out which cards you want in your hand to yeah best suit you uh so yeah it's, it's, it just works like that each card turns over of the, who you're fighting and some of they'll do damage uh, different amounts of damage depending on what monster they are someone will have different effects um yeah uh but the thing is yeah normal monsters will run away if they're not killed in one round so everyone wants to make sure they do the damage uh that yeah. round or they'll yeah. escape and no one gets because there's trophies you get for destroying them but yeah, overall, it's really, really good. There's a lot of tactical planning in when do I attack? What weapon do I do use? When do I go back? There's a whole many different factors. Of, you're thinking about what other cards other people have in their hands because if they play that card and it's the same card as yours, then they sort of cancel each other out and no one gets the benefit. Yes. So there's a lot of that at play. So there's, yeah, there's a huge amount of tactical thinking in play for a very simple game. And it's very easy to teach people how to play it. Like You'll pick the game up very, very quickly. So it is a great little game for that. I think it's what, five players max? Uh, yes it is yeah. um, and it's quick as well you'll finish it in half an hour yes it seems at first it's, it seems rather complicated but most of it's actually held in the cards the cards um, descriptions are generally sometimes with these card games the descriptions can be a bit obtuse or hard to understand in this case um, that's fine yeah when I was will... playing with you we were doing several things wrong <laughs> yes <laughs> What several things were we doing um, wrong then? I can't remember. There was one particular one. Oh yeah, definitely the way turn order works is was we were doing that kind of wrong. Uh, in like in, in what order you purchase things? Yeah, like the turn order way way that comes into play in the shop. It's it's different as well because it's when you go into uh, what order you go into the hunter's dream and but oh that's the really important thing is yeah if you get killed, uh, you don't get the shop. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah, so that was one we were missing. So yeah, because that's a big disadvantage to being killed. Because other than that, there was no, it was like a free way of getting into the hunter's dream essentially. Was it? I thought did we not? No, I knew that. I thought okay, okay. okay. Maybe we were doing it. I don't know. Oh no, it we probably like did do it wrong. Yeah, I probably yeah. just didn't wrongly didn't realize that I was doing it wrong. Yeah, but it's as, as long as everyone's doing it wrong, then it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> then it bounces. <laughs> it. Um, what I, one I like. Um, aspects of the game I like is that the the monsters are, are stacked and you flip them over as you go so it's always a surprise some of them have um, powers that just instantly activate yeah um, it's possible just to be to die as soon as a monster appears oh yeah and it's yeah it's interesting the way that it works is the, it's because it's very hard to judge how much damage a monster will do so there's three different dice damage yeah. dice and what the, uh, the card will say which color dice rolls obviously i think one is way more dangerous than the others but some of the numbers have like a, a small asterisk on them and if it lands on like the two with the asterisks you roll that again and add the next number and you yeah. keep it can keep, keep going and so you can suddenly get like eight damage or <laughs> ten damage very quickly and again you've got a nice little component card it's like a wheel tracks your health so, yes uh, like um like uh, king of tokyo style yes yeah. um yeah, and I liked the I liked the different the various weapon cards that could come in play. It's possible to do to actually win in two ways. Um, you you deal damage to the monster and survive. That means you get some of the rewards from that monster when it dies. There's certain tokens that you have on a track, and that monster might give you one or other of those, and those will increase. Yeah, and they also have like weird sort of breakpoints, so they will suddenly exponentially gain. Yeah. So again, you're, there's a tactics there of going, oh, okay, which one do I want to increase? Well, this will give me more points if I increase this one. Yes. Uh, so you're thinking about which which order. So yeah, just another little layer of gameplay. An- another thing you can do is um, hit a monster hard, and then run away. That gives you 
a lot of blood tokens, which is what you collect when you when you inflict damage on a monster. And then if you run away, you can go into the hunter's dream, mm-hmm. but that will leave the monster highly weakened for other players. It might yeah. get to the point in, in the turn order where there's nothing left. Yeah. And some players will just lose uh, and that completely. Also, yeah, the hunter's dream, like the card you play to go to the hunter's dream doesn't necessarily protect you either because no. you still have to survive a round. Yes. Uh, and you take half damage take if half you've damage, got it. So, but it but that could, if there's big damage, uh, that could still take you out. <laughs> it is possible to do that, to just simply collect lots and lots of blood tokens and win that way. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much concentrate on actually killing the monsters themselves. Yeah, and in most cases, I found that I was purchasing from the shop and trying to get there before other players and just so they, they couldn't get the good weapons. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have only seven in your hand, so you're just, just taking things from the shop and just <laughs> trashing them right away. And uh, just so someone else couldn't get, like, the Kirk Hammer, which does, like, five damage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, no, really, really interesting game. I think it's affordable enough. I think it's less than 30 quid or something. It's around that price. I guess so. There's a lot of nice little components in the thing. There's no, like, big figures or anything like that, no. which are all the rage these days. But, uh, yeah, it's all cardboard, but it's nicely made nicely print, printed and uh, yeah yeah and really good mechanics so much elements to it the very, artwork. very quick to teach very uh, um, yeah the artwork and I think the flavour text on the cards is very good yeah well again all that's on from, from software yeah. who are absolute geniuses at that type of thing like the yeah, the, the, the whole world they created of Yarnum and all this is wonderful wonderful design uh, so yeah what else have we played recently oh yeah yeah we also played um, uh, the uh, new expansion it is new isn't it the Riverworld expansion for Small World yes that is new quite recent so um, briefly Small World um, for those who don't know it um, it's a game where you um, you grab you've, you've got it's like an area control game and you have a number of races each player takes a race and they try and populate the board with that race and they get points on that basis. And the races, one of the charms of the game is that you the races will fill the board and then simply expire. You can decline a race and then it'll be gone and you pick another one. So you just keep on picking. And the game yeah. isn't so much about what you do with a particular race. It's more about what races do you choose, what order do you deploy them in, and when do you decline them and when don't you decline them. The Riverworld expansion. Well, I should also say that yeah, no, Small World is very good. It's it's. I think it's a really good game for getting people interested in playing board games. Yes, it's, it is because uh, people play that and go, "Oh, this is a little bit like Risk, except it's fun." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah, it, it is a wonderful mechanic, and just the artwork's nice. It's friendly it's, and accessible, and it's, and it's yeah. humorous. And yeah, the, I think the it's, it, it's. I think it has a place in anyone's board game collection. Almost everyone should probably have Small World. The race characters are charming as well yeah and, it, yeah, and again it, it, no two games are ever going to be the same because different races and different power combinations will come yeah. up and it's how those go against the other players and what they have picked so it's almost got a degree of cosmic encounter to it as well yeah that's true that sort of thing going on but uh, yeah Riverworld so the Riverworld expansion adds um, a couple of things to this makes one thing clearly enough is rivers um, so when you're when you're when you're traveling or you're deploying in um uh, small world itself um, each uh, a land will, will cost two um, of your race so you have to place two of your race to occupy that land at a minimum and more if it's already occupied by someone else um, rivers only take uh, in general only take one um, but then that race has to be removed it's as if it's crossing the river so it gets placed and then gets removed and then redeployed somewhere else so with the rivers you're always kind of just moving across them However, the second component is um, changing conditions. 
So at the start of each round, you flip over a, a disc and these discs actually stack and they're actually used to um, control how long the game takes. Yeah. Once you're at the bottom of the stack, end of the game. Some of the discs, uh, nothing happens. All the conditions stay the same as they were before. Some of them uh, freeze the rivers and then the rivers can actually be occupied. So you can put your race on the river. I think it costs one more now. It's like normal land, so it costs two. But you can leave your, your components there until the next round and get points for that space. Another one is uh, storms. Then it costs even more to cross a river. That's three. It's difficult to cross them. And the fourth one, and which is an interesting one, is actually the third component of this expansion, is pirates. Now, pirates, if the pirates' condition is flipped, the rivers will suddenly fill with pirates. They'll be everywhere. They'll be in every river. And what happens is that every bit of land adjacent to a pirate-occupied zone, the pirates get the money. They will take one coin from every bit of land adjacent to that zone. So um, you, you're always try- you, you want to get rid of pirates or your money will just drop. Mm-hmm. This is your points for the game, your money. Um, so you're, you're not just um, occupying your, your opponent's territories and working on what they're doing. You're also getting tactical with pirates because you want the pirates to harm them, not you. So you want to, you want to remove a pirate, but not but the best one to your advantage and the one to your opponent's disadvantage. Um, a fourth uh, component of this expansion is harbors. Um, certain areas on this board will have harbors in them. Whoever and these harbors increase incrementally. So if you occupy a place of the harbor, the first one is worth one coin second one's worth two plus the first one that brings it up to three Mm -hmm. the third one will bring it up to uh six and so on so as you as you occupy more harbors you get more gold but obviously the harbors are fairly far apart not so easy to occupy all of them um there is also a temple that you can occupy a temple space if you occupy this space you get to see what the next weather condition is for the rivers this might give you a tactical advantage over your opponent. If you know, for example, they're going to freeze, you'll know that you might be ready to deploy onto them next time. And finally, there is a um, a caravel, a boatyard, which if you occupy that, that gives you a caravel. And that basically means you can enter not just from um, an, a region you occupy or the edge of the board, but any other river space. You can just pick a river and then flood yeah. into another opponent's area yeah it's excellent because it's very hard to defend against that because you don't know yes. where it's going to come from because yeah. normally you, you sort of fortify your regions that are like on your border that another player could conceivably get to exactly but yeah with the caravel uh, yeah it's, you can't defend against that yeah it's rather like a flying race where when a flying race in small world means they can deploy anywhere on the board mm. they don't normally you have to come in from the edge but with a flying race you can just go anywhere and once someone has a flying race you're pretty much it's very difficult to defend against them um so with this expansion now it does just call itself a river world expansion so it could technically work with both river world and river world uh sorry small world and small world underground uh to get it to work with small world underground you need to do that thing which is rather like putting an interface on it and sort of trying to force the small world underground characters and spaces to look like the normal small world yeah because it's normal small world is what the river world is. You don't have an under, underworld, underground map. You yeah. just have a normal map. Um, so beware of that. Because when I, I got the expansion, I didn't actually own small world. Yeah, I tried playing it with um, underground. 
I managed to sort of fit everything on, but the other problem is that underground already has loads of complexity built in. That's yeah, you have races that pertain to volcanoes and, yeah. and to mushroom fields and things and, like that. Yeah, and they're useless. And you it? also have all kinds of things with like when you when you defeat a, a monster, you get an artifact and the artifact will give you special powers. If you couple that with everything that's going on in Riverworld, you'll have so much complexity. It'll, be, it'll mm-hmm. just be overwhelming. It's so you spend every turn you'd be working out all the possible permutations of what could happen so i think for small world itself i think river world is an interesting expansion i like playing with the pirates i think it adds another dimension of tactics that's missing from small world and that's enough it's just enough to make it um interesting in itself the board um i think as with small world uh it goes from like two players up to five players and there's different sized boards for each one so yeah i enjoyed it i thought it was good yeah yeah no there's definitely it's enough new mechanics i was never that big a fan of um small world underworld uh yeah i think it adds complexity that just makes it a pain uh to deal with a lot of the new stuff it's a little more random as well because you're always flipping over something like with river world you have the randomization of events but there's only a few of those yeah so the rivers might freeze or pirates might come out but you kind of know what's going to happen whereas with underworld you're always so, anything could happen yeah. it's like you flip something over suddenly a player has a new power that means they can do something totally crazy yeah yeah and that happens every turn um so that's a bit much uh yeah okay so um then next we will okay do, do you want to do your controversy controversy corner, corner. this yeah, is it now well, we're gonna do a controversy let, corner let me find the music Welcome to this week's Controversy Corner. And you don't get much more controversial than murder. And in particular, murders of prostitutes. Jack the Ripper, back in Whitechapel days, was perhaps the most celebrated mass murderer in London at the time. A game, hundreds of years later, when the time was right, they released a game called Letters from Whitechapel. Now, Letters from Whitechapel is a Jack the Ripper um, you one player plays Jack, the other players play the police. You're trying to stop Jack commit murders. Jack wants to commit murders. He's hidden. You're trying to catch him. It's a great game, a great sort of hidden movement game. Recently, and controversially, they released an expansion for it called um, Dear Boss. Dear Boss um, contains um, in the box. It contains some uh, miniatures instead of the old pawns so instead of the old policeman pawns you had you have these like little miniature plastic police and you have little miniature plastic prostitutes also and jacks um it has cards which add a a new new dimensions to the game they can make things a little more difficult for jack a little more difficult for the police and you can you can balance all of these things out you can sort of tailor the game with the cards some of them are harder than others and they're marked so you might include some harder cards for jack some easier cards for the police this gets over the problem of um you know, people always complaining, oh, 
the police always lose or oh jack always loses this happens with pretty much every <laughs> hunter seeker game because when you first play a hunter seeker game it doesn't matter if it's letters from whitechapel or specter ops or fury of dracula sometimes and quite regularly if you're new players and you're the police or you're the dracula hunters or you're the whatever the um agents of capitalism in specter ops you can spend three hours trying to catch someone and you just don't and the other player wins but if that happens you're just not going to like the game you're going to blame the game you're going to go i didn't like it i never found anyone i spent three hours Mm -hmm. and nothing happened essentially i thought it might get good but nothing happened i lost i'm never going to play that again again and this um this is a common problem with these games. In fact, I have had occasions where I've basically played with other new players and let them win. Well, kind of let them win, just so they get they get their you know. Then they will play it again. They will love the game. If they win, it's great. It means that they've actually achieved something. It's a sort of a zero sum game with these uh, um, with these games. Um, you either you know win or lose. You, there's no real sort of in between. You can't sort of enjoy it unless you catch the killer. Anyway, the Dear Boss expansion is not is, is good for that, but it is controversial. It's controversial on Board Game Geek. Um, people are using the words um, cash grab mm-hmm. with it. They're saying it's a bit rubbishy, it's a bit overpriced, and that the miniatures are not as good as the wooden pawns. Now, I'm holding up the miniatures now. I've got them right here in front of me. And I have miniature yeah. police. and They I have look like a selection of butt plugs. well everyone's saying they prefer the butt plugs yeah (laughs) (laughs) well they would (laughs) board game geek i suppose (laughs) um this is the pawns so there's the they are nice i like those they're quite like they um, look like cloves before those little sweets (laughs) i think they look like those little they look like little um like madonna's like statues of mary sort of things um now personally i like the miniatures i like the pawns as well i like the wooden ones um, but I see nothing wrong with the miniatures. I, I suspect when people imagine miniatures, they think, I don't know what they think. They think of, you know, massive, huge, yeah. sort of, I don't know what. That's what you get in an expansion, maybe. But with games that are based on miniatures, you get great miniatures. But this is a definite improvement. I like them. I really like the cards now. That's what I the cards are the great. The backs on those are lovely. The backs on the cards, the designs on the cards, the artwork. Mm-hmm. It's very lovely, and um, they really do add a lot to the game. Um, there's three types of card. There are cards for for Jack, and what they do is they are at, they're the ones that are actually um, given numbers. There's a set of ones, twos, threes, and fours, and they will make things increasingly difficult for Jack depending on the numbers. You can either shuffle them all together and draw them, and maybe it's hard, maybe it's easy, or you can just pick fours if you're a really good Jack player. And what they do is they say, right, um, Jack can only kill on certain sections. His hideout can only be on certain sections. Um, and they give other conditions for him. He's not allowed to do this. He's not allowed to do that. He has less carriages tonight. And I've played with these cards and they do make things considerably mm. more difficult. When you suddenly have to have your hideout where you don't particularly want it, mm-hmm. you've got no choice. Wherever they, wherever the other players place their police, you've mm. got to put your hideout. And they can make things very difficult. You could be 
right up on the edge of the board. You've got no choice. You've got to put your height out there. It's like it's like trying to rent in Dublin at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You just have very little choice <laughs> where you live. That's just the way the scene is at the moment. It's just so hard to find anywhere. Especially for serial killers, <laughs> they're yeah. the worst. They've got the worst kind of deal. Um, there are um, pawn cards that are for the for the victims. The victims' cards. What they do is they have um, locations written on them. So. And some of those locations will be the same as the original locations in or for murder victims in uh, Letters from Whitechapel, and some of them are new. So these help Jack a lot. So he can actually use these cards. Now, he does have to make his choice public, mm-hmm. but he can choose where the victim's locations are going to be. And depending on which victim he chooses, he also gets a benefit that night. He might be able to move easier. He might, you know, there's, they give him a lot of... Um, are these historically accurate to the actual victims? Yes. Wow. Okay. They are. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole thing about the game. It's a little hard. That's to, a bit uh, creepy. Yeah. The game is exactly and perfectly historically accurate. Okay. The map is accurate. The victim locations yeah. are exactly the victim locations. And these victim cards have images of the victims and they will tell you something about the victims' lives. Yeah, yeah. it's like that. It's that time tragedy equation. Like, uh, <laughs> yes. enough time passes, it's, it's okay. It's, it's fair it's game. Fun. It's okay to make it's a board thinking, game. You know, 150 years we'll be playing a Harold Shipman game, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, it just seems, uh, yeah. But yeah, there is, yeah, it's weird. It's come, it has become quite commercial as well, the whole Jack the Ripper thing. Like in London, like there's so many sort of tours and Jack the Ripper tours and things. And yeah. It's, it's almost it's, fetishization of it's, this it's been brutal, violent besides. Well, it's already murder. been fictionalized. It's already gone through films. Yeah. I mean, people now, these generations grow up on it, knowing it is almost a kind of mythological thing. Yeah. So it makes it okay for a game. Though the Harold Shipman, I mean, where's Shipman? That would be that could be a possible, you know, <laughs> <laughs> possible game. So there's also um, so we got uh, police cards as well. So these actually help the police. Um, each card is is coloured or given to the investigators. Again, they have pictures from the original of the investigators from the time with their names. Um, in each round of this game, one one person from the police becomes the lead investigator. Whoever the lead investigator at the time gets the power on their card. And again, that adds something to the game. These powers are quite interesting. Some of the police can nominate other police to move and hunt. Some police can uh, make arrests on multiple locations, which you can't do in the original game. You have to choose one and that's it. I think this expansion is great. I love the miniatures. Um, I think the cards are lovely. And I think... It adds just the right new tactical levels to the game. I wouldn't really want to go back. This is a measure of an expansion. I wouldn't really want to go back to the base game having played it with this because it suddenly would seem a little bit too simplistic, a little bit too... There's not enough room for manoeuvre. With these cards, and particularly the way that... You don't have to... Again, it's in the rules. You don't have to use any or none of them. For example, you could just make things... If it's new players, Jack can take all the make things difficult for Jack cards suddenly the new players are much more likely to win. Yeah. Um, and they will love that. Or give them the special powers. They will love that. They will love, I've done this with players, they love getting the police cards. When it turns to their turn, suddenly their power is activated. It's great for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if they realise that I can't move yeah. somewhere, um, they like that a lot. So I don't know why people are calling this a cash grab. Yeah. On I mean, how KMG. much cash are they grabbing? It's about 30 to 40 euros or yeah. so, as far mm, as I can maybe, remember. Yeah, I'd say about 30 would be like a fair point. But yeah, going over that, it might be a bit too much. Uh, I like the shape of the box. Like It could easily also contain a pizza. And, <laughs> well, not both, but either a pizza or yeah. the original base game. I've got the original base game in here. 
yeah. with all the expansions as well. So it actually reduces, oh, wow. the, everything in reduces yeah. the size of the box overall. You yeah. can that out and go, hey, Gary, who wants to play this? Ah, no, food. It's actually pizza. <laughs> <laughs> One, now the inside of my box is all greasy. <laughs> One other thing this has, which is worth mentioning, and is actually also a nice, just a nice little extra bonus, is it has a new um, map for Jack. So Jack has a bit kind of a hidden screen to stop mm. where he can write his locations down. And this screen is bigger, so it's easier to read the map for Jack. He doesn't. You don't have to keep looking over at the board. Yeah. Um, so that's it. That's Dear Boss. Uh, controversial in many ways, uh, not least because mm-hmm. it's about serial killing, prostitution, and they don't like it on Board Game Geek. But I, um, particularly the last one, I think is um, incorrect. I think uh, the Board Game Geek are wrong on that one. I think they're just being too picky. <laughs> Um, I've yet to play because I was curious about it, but I don't think it got good reviews on Board Game Geek either. Which now I'm been thinking maybe it is good. The uh, is it called Last Friday or something? The the sort of it's almost I don't know if it's called that. It's kind of like a Friday Thirteenth style um, okay. um, um, game like that. Hunter. I don't know what they call that genre again. Oh, I, I, Hunter Killer. Hunter Killer. Uh, there is a specific game. name, but basically you're looking for a player. Yeah, yeah. One player is hidden. They know where they are. You don't know where they are. Yeah, so it's one of those, but I, I, I like some of the mechanics in it because they had like sort of almost like chapters in the game because so at different points, like the players aren't just trying to find the killer and the killer's not just, they're all, there's like objectives, like they're trying to find like gasoline to power up the generator uh, yeah. and things like that. Uh, so that, I think that just makes, adds an extra layer of interest to it. You're not just hunting. Yes. <laughs> You're trying to keep an eye out and survive and also, yeah, yeah. That's good. I like yeah. that. How it would handle elimination, though, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, a yeah, problem. So there's, yeah, yeah. If, they, if it is, if the killer's killing players and not, unless there's like, a, there are like pawns we were like just teenagers, random kids or something in the park. That's going to be really annoying. Not only yeah. if you're first play, not only yeah. if you not find the pl- killer, but yeah. you get killed and that's yeah. it. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the mechanics are, but I did notice its score is fairly low. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it is out and just, I don't think even gamers will have got it into stock. Okay. Uh, so I don't know about it. So I hadn't heard of I it. I must look it up a bit more, find it more about it because it did sound like a fun concept anyway. Well, that's um, that's all from this week's uh, Controversy Corner. Yeah. If anybody out there has any controversy they'd like to send our way, please uh, please do let us know. So, yeah, coming up next next Saturday on the 29th of April. And, yeah, usually it's like the 30th of April, but the way years work, <laughs> <laughs> that cannot be. Uh, so, yeah, the 29th of April, uh, this, uh, so that's Saturday. Um is uh yeah t- tabletop day now this is a spin-off of will wheaton's tv show or youtube show which i'm not a big fan of i find it irksome yes. i mean i don't like the little inserts they do yeah i mean they 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 kind of play this game and they and i'm not even sure if the scenarios are contrived or not but they set up a kind of they go and the, and someone goes oh uh, and someone goes oh they roll a dice and then they cut away and they go you know, on the next move, <laughs> I'm going to do this and they're going to be annoyed. And then they cut away to another player in the studio, like yeah. not even at the game. And they go, I think he's going to do this to me now. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> and it's yeah, like yeah. so contrived. It's like, Jesus, just show them playing the game. Yeah. And yeah. Then, but then there was like one season where they got a lot of rules wrong and stuff. And uh, Will Wheaton did this big blog post where he says, oh, I take full responsibility, then proceeded to throw the producer under the bus and said it was his <laughs> fault. It was his job to do it. Uh, but that sort of negated him saying, I take full responsibility for the mistake. So uh, I don't know. It just it, it came off as really, really bad uh, to me anyway. It just uh, doesn't, it doesn't. I think with something like this, if you're going to show it has to feel authentic. And this 
doesn't feel authentic to me, particularly with these cutaways, which they do constantly through the game. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously they're filmed afterwards. Oh, and it's just, it's just, yeah. Oh, this is how to do reality TV. So this is how we would yeah, do it. Yeah, this is how we like, should do no, it. No, do you free to do anything. It's YouTube. <laughs> you don't have to stick to a horrible formula. Uh, um, uh, yeah, because I mean, if you did it, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the show, The Great British Bake Off, is that the producers did want it to be all like this way, but yeah. they, they, the presenters said, no, no, we yeah. want to do like reality. So it's not, it's like kind of more gentle and interesting. It is more gentle. Compared yes. to like reality TV. You don't have them like cutaways and no. going, oh, I hope he doesn't do this with his cake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why Hang it's on. just, it's just much calmer and something to just take in and it's much more, I, I hate, yeah, this sort they, of forced they, competitiveness. That, uh, I thought I'd try this new flower out this week. They told me not to use the flower, but I said, no, I'm going to use the flower. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But other than that, it has done a good job of bringing sort of board gaming and tabletop gaming into sort of the wider sort of dare I use the word geekosphere uh, no I wouldn't <laughs> yeah I would, I would never use the word geekosphere because <laughs> that's ridiculous Sphero, but yeah, yeah. Sphero geek. but people who would be geek. interested in the more sort of nerdy geeky pursuits and stuff are now it, it makes them aware of like board games and I think it has helped a lot in like making board games a bit more I wouldn't say mainstream but it has made them put them into sort of the more sort of sphere of yeah geekdom <laughs> well doesn't it make them um, doesn't it make them more cool i mean isn't the I, idea that I, this is look cool people play games is, too is will wheaton cool is wesley crusher cool <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well i suppose i suppose to some people maybe that's cool i've got my own ideas of what's cool you know small esoteric cool ideas uh yeah yeah so but anyway regardless of, of <laughs> our feelings about will wheaton and beverly crusher and uh, but i can't and, put those uh, aside i cannot put my uh, feelings no. aside for will wheaton they affect everything i do uh it yeah it's, it's an interesting day it's like a focus day where people just play tabletop we do that every week anyway but now here we go anyway this is a special day for it and uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, I've, I've, we haven't organised that ourselves. I've never really done it because usually NaveCon is on and we usually go down to that. That's so I right. just can't be bothered organising that. But NaveCon is a little earlier this year and I also didn't make it down to it. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, yeah. so I, there's two. The, uh, IGA who run the Irish Gamers Association, uh, I think Dave was talking a bit about them earlier. Uh, they are running the Tabletop Day in, event in uh, the Square Ball. Ah yes, uh, they they normally run. Uh, I think it's Thursday evenings in Robert Reed's is where they normally do their meetups. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're doing it in the Square Ball, which we've mentioned before on the podcast, which is a pub. Uh, it's just off Marion Square. Yeah. Uh, and they have made a serious go of being a sort of a board game venue. Uh, now we went there just before Christmas, so we can talk a little bit about what we thought about it. I think they have the selection they have of games. I think they have something like they say about five hundred games, but there is a very good selection. Well, that's again. a serious go bit. I yeah, mean, that's because yeah. the games aren't just. Sometimes they places go. Oh, we've got board games, and you might find a, a set of Jenga with some of the pieces missing. You might, if you're yeah. lucky. Whereas this this place has definitely has, and they have all the games that um, many of the games that we have played or would play on a regular basis. And uh, I think they're all stacked up there on the shelves. They're quite easy to see. Um, so that's good I like that part of it and it's kind of like a rental system as opposed to like a time system which I think works better for 
yeah. uh, here in our <laughs> Dublin anyway. Uh, in that, yeah, it was, it's, you put down something like 10 euro and you can just keep taking as many games as you want for the day. Yes. Until you like check out at the end uh, or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's nice. The tables are nice. There's really long benches with wooden things. Yep. But then there's the problem because they haven't quite. They also want to be a sports bar and it doesn't work. I've never seen such a small bar with so many big TVs. There's that literally is real... no field of vision where you can look where there isn't a television. It's like being stuck in an episode of Black Mirror or something. <laughs> I don't know. Some nightmarish hellscape where there's like that's true. Uh, men shouting about balls on every I everywhere mean, you look. <laughs> sport might be a game or it is a game when football's a game right it's classified as such but sports games and board games just because they're all games doesn't mean they're going to mix in general in my experience um there's serious sports fans will tend if there's a serious sports event going on to go to the sports event they will almost certainly not want to play a board game while their favorite team yeah is playing a match they're sort of separate things so but they're also weird they'll also just like want random sports on in the background yes because otherwise they might have to talk to it's true and a lot of people (laughs) a lot of people go there like sometimes the bands just aren't flowing so you need to go oh look at that that's ludicrous display up on the tv screen (laughs) right now (laughs) well yeah that's another problem with um that's another issue about sports and difference between sports and board games is that sports is loud and Mm. um what you do when you go and look at sports in a pub is you shout. And I don't know why people do it. I don't watch sports. But apparently, you know, there are occasions in football when people want to shout and occasions when they nearly want to shout. And then they, if they're not doing that, they're getting ready to shout, which means mm-hmm. they're kind of gearing up with a kind of loud mumble. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, it would be fine if they just kept it to their own shouts. But then you also need, like, the man on the television telling you what's happening Yes, even that's loud as well. And you can't even hear him in the bar, so it's all just... <laughs> and it's, it's always a bit muffled, the sound in the bar doesn't carry well. And it's like, and the why crowd, is the sound even turned up to that degree? The crowd is on the TV as well, and they, they're all yeah. shouting too. I remember there used to be a nice feature when digital TV first came out. You had like your red button. I don't know if that's even still a thing anymore, but they did really <laughs> interesting things with the red button back in the day. Uh, and one of the things you could do was you could press the red button and watch your football match without the commentary and it would just be the the sounds of the crowd in yeah. the stadium and it was really nice you didn't have like someone explaining wow who had the ball to you <laughs> <laughs> and yeah yeah it was just, I, I just like that because uh, and as a feature I wish the red button had taken off a bit more because <laughs> you also had like um, was it that TV show Banzai uh, yeah there was like you could like you'd guess how long can the woman shake hands for Mrs. Shaky Hand Woman. Uh, and, oh yeah, I and you that. could yeah, you yeah, it would tally your score. Yeah. You'd use the buttons and stuff. Like I don't know how anyone watched that TV show without the interactive features because it looked just really boring. <laughs> but when you had the interactive features, you could, it would like give you a score at the end. And, I remember like, the I remember the Shaky Hand Woman. Yeah. I don't remember the red button. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, so I never understood the appeal of the show without the red button. The red <laughs> button meant you could like say how how long you thought it would be, and then at the end of the show, you'd it would like give you this little personalized score. Well, really if different. they showed that in in um, Square Ball, you know, yes, shaky ba- hands woman, yeah. ba- shaky hands woman theme bar and board games, yeah. that, that, that I'll be, be okay. Yeah. I'll be alright with that. But sports bars and board game bars don't mix. Um, you know, so board... yeah, we ended up going upstairs into, and it's like someone's front room upstairs. It was kind of there was a nice kind of smallish table. Yeah, very small tables, but, unfortunately, but, um, but a kind of cool like closed off area. But... And we played um, Revolt, Revolution, Revolution, and uh, Dominion. Yes, both games they have there. Yeah, yeah, Revolution, very good game. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and that was fine until until 
they all followed us up. Uh, yeah, no, no. Someone had booked like a birthday party there. Oh, that's what they it was. had booked all the tables except that one small table. We were and, but it was so to, it we was looked, we looked like we, yeah, yeah. So we were sort of the weird people there. Yes. Uh, for some reason, at their birthday party, playing Dominion in the corner. But their birthday party was a football yeah. game yeah. party. Well, they next were watching time, book the entire room, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saved two euro by booking not booking that one type type part of the room. Uh, yeah, and there's like an N64 up there as well. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I think hooked up to a TV. Um, I, yeah, I'm willing to give it another go. So I don't know what way IGA what what arrangement they have with them for next Saturday. Um, like, will the TVs be on or off? Because I think it's yeah, it's kind of if there's like sports on and music blaring. Um, it's kind of like going to be impossible. They do have a lot of chickens. Yeah, yeah, it's like a chicken team. I, yeah, I, I wasn't too keen on it. It didn't smell it, good. <laughs> well, it was just a big wall of roasting chickens. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like they got a hole in the wall and they call it, I think they call it... Foul ro- play. Foul play, play is, is that it? it? I think it's foul play. I don't know. It's I honestly so, thought it's... it was just like the roasting chicken No, there's pit. a pun. There's a pun. Okay. That's why I think it's foul play or foul ball. Oh, because or... of fouls, because of football fouls. Yeah, football fouls, yeah. Oh, it took me this long to get that, to yeah. make that link. All right, foul play, <laughs> which is just a wall of chickens. And it's like they open the oven, they stick a fork in one, put it in a bag, and that's your chicken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that, I'm not, I know I'm not for, mocking it. I know when the Super Bowl was on, they made like these gigantic subways that were, or subs, sandwiches, you know, it's, like, it's what yeah. the Americans call like a roll. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was like literally like 10 foot long. Oh, a snack. Uh, American snack. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you had to like book it like a week in advance if you wanted one. <laughs> Why? So you have to get the scaffolding out to <laughs> exactly, construct yeah. it. Or something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, they had that, that looked kind of interesting, I guess, if you got one for the entire tabletop group. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm only mentioning this as an interesting point of fact. I My feelings on the wall of on foul play on the wall of chickens are pretty much neutral but maybe you know it might be your thing so you might want to go along for that um so mixed feelings personally i got mixed feelings about the square ball um yeah. good um, for good for war games but also not good yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh we're willing to give it a try and we'll report back on how we found uh table maybe i'll bring a portable recorder next week and get people's opinions and that would be good because yeah. if they were playing all the screens I will interview one of the chickens. <laughs> How do you feel? Before or after? How do you feel about puns being made on your species? <laughs> I, I, honestly, honestly, right now, all I can think of is that going into that oven. Yeah. I really don't care. Yeah. Are you, you, of course, have experience playing a chicken. Uh, yes, I in, do. In a radio drama that I've made in these I very did. studios. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> one of my finest hours. Obviously, I've been typecast now. Yeah. I mean, that's anytime anyone wants a chicken, I um, get the call. Uh, I'd love to play a murdering priest, but I just get the chicken. But uh, yeah, and going on, yeah, yeah, board game venues. There is another place opening up soon uh, called Token, uh, which is what's called. I think the term is Barcade. So primarily, it's going to be like an arcade, a video game arcade with. Um, like all the classics, uh, all the, the stuff there. That's you know your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, your Final Fights yeah. and Street Fighters, and uh, loads of pinball machines as well. Um, so I know because I do another podcast called um, Arcade and Retro dot com, and I know they've been these guys have been buying up like pinball machines and arcade machines from people in the community for like the past two years. So it's yeah. been running for a while. They've been set gearing up for this. Uh, they just had a, a successful Kickstarter as well, where they raised thirty five thousand to fix the elevator in the venue that are opening up. So it opens up. It's in Smithfield, and they open up um, uh, 
next month is the plan in May. So, yes, I have uh, Brandon from Token on the line. So, Brandon, uh, the Token uh, idea, do you want to just talk us through the whole concept of the, of the, 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 the business? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Token is a uh, restaurant, bar, retro arcade, pinball parlor, and event space opening up in Smithfield, Dublin uh, next month. Like We're just under a month away. We're targeted for May 19th. We're on track for that. Uh, Fit-out's been ongoing for about six weeks now um, down at the site, and it's, it's really shaping up. Um, but we're, uh, yeah, we're looking to bring Dublin. Basically, it's, you know, first retro arcade-style bar. Uh, we haven't really seen anything here like this before, and I know that um, there's definitely been an ask for it for a while. Um, the team behind the Rage announced that they were going to be starting up Token, uh, I think it's about two years ago now, back in January of 2015, and I've been working on it since. I joined up with the team back in January, and I'm yeah. kind of focused on our community side of things. But, yeah, we're really excited to bring something to Dublin that's a little bit different, allows you to come, eat, drink, play, um, and in an atmosphere that is, you know, for those that want to be transported back to their kids' years or, you know, that are into geek and nostalgia culture. Um, we are 18+, plus, so we are making sure we have an atmosphere that's, you know, great for adults to come in and, you know, good mate date, uh, a mate night out or, you know, even a mm. first date, you know, uh, bringing – I think bringing a date there is actually be pretty interesting because you've got <laughs> the aspect of being able to sit down, eat, drink, and then you don't have this awkward part of like, oh man, I got to think of something to talk about. You can be like, oh, let's go play Pac-Man together. Or, <laughs> I will know, beast go, you at Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, you are like, yeah, talking to different little communities like our own board game one as well because you do have the event event room there. Yeah, so above, you know, above just being a place where you can come eat, drink, and play, we want to provide an area that you can come and experience something different and be part of the community. I actually got my start um, in, well, I uh, was originally in banking, but I moved into uh, the community field in video games mm-hmm. and worked on several video game titles as community manager. And basically what, what my position um, is is to really bring together groups of like-minded people who want to get together and uh, meet other people that are into the similar interests that they are, um, and then offer really diverse events. Like, we're really putting together a diary of different things that you can come during different times of the week and experience. You know, whether it's board games, there's a group that wants to do a nerd comedy show, um, there's a, a guy that does uh, music sampling from video games and turns it into a DJ, so, like, you know, he could, like, play music behind, like, you know, if people are out playing board games or we just have an open social, we're looking into, like, geek speed dating. So people who are like, you know, like, oh, I want to find other, you know, geeks like me that like, you know, sci-fi and games and stuff like that. So we're going to try and set up speed dating for that. Um, but there's someone that wants to come in and teach how to, like, get into cosplay. Um, there's uh, a Harry Potter Society from one of the local colleges mm-hmm. that want to come by and, like, do screening night. So, um yeah, no, no, it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah, because it, it's nice to have that like space where there's like a, a flexibility. I think where you can yeah almost use the space for almost anything. Yeah, because that's the thing. Um, I mean, yeah, because the important thing for board games is uh, uh, large tables, uh, good lighting, and yeah, very little little to no music is is, <laughs> is the best situation. Because the moment yeah we use um um a, a couple of different bars. Well, we use Alfie Burns primarily. Yeah, the yeah. Pub and it has big tables and everything, but uh, yeah, it is still primarily a pub. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll occasionally and we, and have we sport. Sure, <laughs> and we want to make sure that that room is really customizable to the needs of the groups mm. that want to come in. So the tables can be put away. There can be no music. We can change up the lighting. We really want to make sure that it's a, a good environment that fits. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking for all different things. And I've encouraged the community to kind of reach out to me at Brandon at TokenDublin.ie. That's the email address. And if they're interested in running community events, I'm happy to get the space to them. 
Um, we're, I think most of our community events are going to be run on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays mm-hmm. to start with because we're only we're you know we're open daily, but uh, from four until eleven thirty mm-hmm. uh, in the evening. So we we want to be able to um, we want to be able to expand that as we as we find our as our, we find our footing and we go forward. And uh, but to start, that's will be. So I think to start probably for June and July, a lot of our community events will be on Mondays, Wednesdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays because we do have um, some interest because that space can be booked out for private parties and things uh, like yes. that too. So, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Do you have a question? Yeah, what's yeah. um what's a nerd comedy show? A nerd comedy show? Uh, I think it's just focused on like geek culture. Like they um, probably incorporate. I haven't actually seen their show. Um, but they've, they're talking about incorporating different elements that would really relate to, you know, some of the people that come by, come by token and enjoy, you know, stuff outside of just the, you know, the food part. Because we're going to have, I think the food is going to be really surprising to a lot of people when they, when they try it and be like, oh, wow, this isn't just a fun place to come and like hang out. Like the food's pretty <laughs> good. Like um, the, the food designed by our head chef who uh, used to be at PMAX. I don't know if you've had PMAX before, oh, but P-Max, really, yeah. really great, great food. Um, we're doing our whole take on the food structure food truck style movement that's going on like in the yeah. states and in, in the uk so this kind of like shareable food that's um that's good quality and you know got really good um ingredients to it and we'll have something for uh everyone we are accommodating all diets all allergies um all budgets even so we're looking to do like different like not uh, levels so to say but there'll be options that you know for like a more premium option where we have some premium ingredients in there for those that want to kind of venture into that land and try mm-hmm. something that they probably yeah. wouldn't normally be able to get in ireland yeah that sounds really good um and uh, good for board gamers too because it's one of the sort of lesser known sides of board gaming is that we do actually eat yeah we do quite a lot of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, I, actually, I would like to think that like the a nerd comedy might be just a bunch of jocks making fun of nerds. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like oh, get a load of this nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's, it's, it should be good. Like, um, yeah, I, I think just being able to offer something different so that you know uh, those that enjoy token and want to be part of the community can just come and experience something new each time, and we'll rotate through events that become popular. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and unique things as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll be announcing them as we start booking things out and they'll be open to the general community. We'll be announcing them on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Token Dublin. Uh, actually, we're on pretty much all the social media platforms as Token Dublin. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, and it's good. Yeah, you're up there in Smithfield. You're just, it's just a street over from the square itself, isn't it? Yeah, so if you're looking, if you're, um, if you're getting off the Lewis and you're looking towards generator hostel and jameson in front of you we're we're you know you look to the left and we're on that street queen street and you could literally throw a, a stone from our um from our building to the lewis track so oh, excellent. it's yeah. very very close yeah because no, smithfield started finally sort of kicking off in the past year or so it's like because it took a long yeah. time to get going as an area yeah but it's finally yeah. getting vibrant <laughs> yeah and i think i think it's going to be a great location for token because it's you know it's not right in city center which is actually kind of nice because those that you know want to come often aren't going to be you know worried about those that um uh you know like being so so busy that it's going to be hard to get a table we um where we are we're expecting to be quite popular you know for opening and things like that so we're going to be announcing ways to ensure that you're not queuing up um we we really want to make sure that you know uh especially right when we open that everyone that wants to come can enjoy it and not you know have the frustration of standing in long queues and having the chance of not getting in Mm -hmm. so we're trying to learn from um trying to learn from recent events here and there uh, and try to build on that to ensure that we can provide a you know good opening experience and, and get everyone out that wants to see it. Okay, very good. Do you have any more questions? or? Um, yeah, there was that controversial yeah. oh, okay. 
just getting back to a bit of controversy, yeah, yeah. there was that controversial event, wasn't there? A oh, lot of queuing. They, they, um, yeah, they, was that it had, GamerCon yeah, or yes, something? Yes. That had a lot of people being yeah. turned away. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was unfortunate to see because I know that, you know, we're also passionate about, you know, if, if we're going to this convention, we're also passionate. And some of the, some of, um, you know, people's first experience going to a convention was that. So, you know, it's a good learning experience. I think everyone should, you know, learn from it and, and use that. And we definitely are, you know, wanting to um, make sure that we, you know, provide the best opening experience that we can. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been really amazing seeing all the support. Um, our Kickstarter finished this weekend, which was really great to see that we're going to be able to get that list refurbished um, mm-hmm. by the time we open. That way it was fully accessible to everyone um, at all times. Yeah, I backed at a level where I get to have a, an awkward photo of myself put behind uh, the counter. Yes, <laughs> but, but, but all your photos are awkward. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it'll cancel it out. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. thanks, Brandon, for coming on. Uh, we're really looking forward oh, to seeing pleasure. the place. Uh, and we'll be yeah. yeah. And we'll, uh, we should plan uh, next time when you guys come out, we can do a live recording from Token. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and that, that's something I really like to see. We're making sure to really have um, you know, good internet connection and stuff like that so we can do streams. Oh, yeah. Um, and podcast recordings, so I'd love to have you guys out. Maybe we can do like a um, a geek podcast roundtable oh, yeah. where we get all the geek, geek yeah. podcasts in the UK or in Ireland together, mm-hmm. and we all can stream from Token. Yeah, no, because no, yeah, because broadband's very important. Is the the fighting game community is very strong in Ireland at the moment. They're really yeah. good, and they require broadband for streaming their events. Yeah. Uh, but exactly. yeah, so it's like there's people that take like Street Fighter like really seriously and play competitively. Yeah, no, and some of the best players are in Ireland. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. yeah, they're a good crowd. They are. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you soon and we'll talk to you once Token's up and running. Yes, thanks. we will. See you guys okay. next okay. month. Okay, cheers. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> cheers, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, so that was Brandon from Token there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, sounds, it sounds like an interesting little venue. So Yeah, time I'm hotel. looking forward to seeing Hopefully it. Hopefully it won't be another place with chickens hanging from the wall and giant Doesn't sound. Everywhere. He doesn't sound like no. a chicken hanging from the wall kind of guy. <laughs> <to be. laughs> well, I don't know what goes on in those food trucks, you know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's true about yeah, conventions, running conventions is not easy. If I had a euro for every euro I'd lost on conventions over the years, I'd have broken even. You'd have broken even, exactly. <laughs> yes, it'd be exactly uh, the same. No, I used to run uh, paranormal conventions. We tried it for three years. I oh, lost so much money. <laughs> it's like, it's like money only ghosts turned up. Saying, yeah. it, you lost real money or paranormal yeah, money? No, no, Loads no. of paranormal yeah. money. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's it's not easy to do. But that's it. The gamer con thing did seem pretty badly organized, and that that did seem like cash grab. When you sell more tickets than there are physical oh, space available, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm not saying all cash grabs aren't yeah. cash grabs. Yeah. Yes, yes, that was a real cash grab. Yeah. It was much grabbing of cash. I just don't think the word cash grab should be bandied about, or it'll yes. lose its currency. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's us. There was a kind of a lot of content in it this week, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, yeah, b- big jumbo podcast. for. Well, we're making up for lost time, aren't yes, we? Yes. I don't know what happened. I think we fell through a sort of time portal, something like that, to sort of repeat ourselves. And then, it, you know, it happens again. So I think we fell through a sort of time portal. I think that's what happened. Okay, so yeah, again, if anyone is interested in uh, coming on and talking about what games you've been playing recently, it's always good. It was great to have Dave on there earlier. Talking, that was quite interesting. Some of the stuff he's talking about the early days. Oh, it was fascinating because, yeah, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's this stuff's been around forever. Yeah. I didn't know it sort of grew in sort of small in Germany because they like families and don't like wars. <laughs> Yeah, they kind of had their fill of war and say, let's go and let's play some games about like being a textile merchant <laughs> in the 18th century in Flanders. Uh, and, and who cares if nobody else is doing it? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, 
thanks again for listening and how we should be back soon we'll do something we'll do another one do another one yes soon. it won't be as big a big a wait I think we fell through a time portal ah <laughs> oh, can I get the music going <laughs> here it is <laughs> <laughs>